Hi, my name is Jesse Cannon, and I've devoted my life to trying to go deep and figure out what goes into making great records. I've produced over 1,000 albums, written two books, and recorded hundreds of podcasts pursuing the hidden secrets of how great music gets to the world's ears. Now I'm proud to present to you Atlantic Records' Inside the Album podcast, where we get to go deeper on how some of Atlantic's artists have made the amazing songs in their catalog. We will hear firsthand from the artists and the team behind them that helped craft this amazing music and get to know the little secrets that go into making an amazing album. On this episode, we're going to go deep on Vance Joy's new album, Nation of Two. James Gabriel Keough is an Australian singer and songwriter who goes by Vance Joy, a name he got from Peter Carey's novel, Bliss. He's one of those weird stories where he didn't have to be a singer-songwriter and probably would have gone on to greatness in some other way had he not been recognized for his talent as a songwriter. He was already an Australian rules football player, a step below professional level, all the while holding a law degree. So obviously music didn't have to be his thing. Instead, the reaction the world had to his music gave rise to this career. He released his debut EP, God Loves You When You're Dancing, in March 2013, If you're listening to this, I'm sure you're familiar with the triple platinum single Riptide, which became so ubiquitous, memes on the internet began to joke, did you even work out if your gym radio didn't play Riptide? The world that wasn't introduced to Joy's music by Riptide, Georgia, or Mess Is Mine were introduced when he opened for Taylor Swift's massive 1989 world tour. His songs are popular all throughout the world, but now it was time to follow up his successful debut record, Dream Your Life Away. But in order to understand the story, why don't we first talk to Stefan Max? Vance's A&R man, about what he saw in him in the first place. The first thing I heard was super early demo of Riptide with like no drums, none of the big congas or production accents that kind of like really helped the song take off. Like obviously a one-listen song, so often those one-listen songs aren't really followed up by much substance, you know? And, you know, I've had a lot of artists that I've had hits with, and we've never had another hit again. But with him, you know, I was like, hey, can I please hear some more music? And he sent me four other songs. And by the second song, I was, like, just so blown away with the consistent quality of each each song. There wasn't, like, one amazing big song and then you know, a bunch of bad ideas. It was one amazing big song and a lot of songs that, in my opinion, followed closely after that. Like, he played me two separate demos of Mess Is Mine, which was our second single off the first album. There were two different songs, and we kind of, like, Frankenstein them and brought them together. So it, it was interesting. He just had such a high quality to even his unfinished ideas that I wasn't used to hearing and it was just like pretty much a uh, an indicator that we had to sign him right away. So obviously having huge hits like that comes so easy to you, puts a lot of stress on most artists. But Vance got had some good advice and learned how to see this in sort of a Zen type way. Here's what he had to say about it. I, I did get some good advice. It wasn't directly related to me making my second album, but actually, it, I mean, it felt like I still at, at the time it was, I was facing the need to kind of, keep making music and following up i guess i had my ep and uh riptide was on that and i was touring i was opening up for a guy named bernard fanning who is from an australian band called powderfinger who super successful uh, band but also just a great songwriter bernard fanning has written some you know incredible songs and so he's 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 the man and um i was opening for him and i think i might have been saying oh you know i'm struggling like i've 
got to make my first album and I've only I've got five songs from my EP but you know I've got a couple more but I, I need to like write songs and I've got all these other voices in my head you know it's something suggesting that like I'm writing a song but I'm also thinking like what's this song like is this and I'm almost like eating my lunch before breakfast kind of like getting getting too far ahead before I'm like focusing on just this one detail of what am I doing making a song he just said something like that's just obstacles like the voice in your head is an obstacle and the pressure from a label is an obstacle but you get over them you work through them you you kind of keep at it and I just feel like that was good like there's always it's not going to get easier necessarily it might get harder there might be more voices more noise but you just see it as obstacles and you can see it just as a part of the journey and with making the second album whether or not that advice really made me what I am it's like I have I have had that philosophy in terms of just like cool like I know my destination is second album I want to make a second album of songs that I'm proud of I don't know exactly how I'm going to get there but like you're saying with like dead end ideas they lead to other ideas and you just try like you get out there and you step into rooms with other people you haven't tried worked with before and you might have a bunch of songs that don't work but every now and then you might write 20 songs or you might start start 20 songs but one of those songs will work and if you can get five songs at work and you feel proud of then you're on your way that was the way I approached the second album stress Stefan on the A&R side figured out a way for them to try to take a more strategic approach to make sure that they lived up to Vance's potential. We kind of looked at case studies, if you will, of at least artists that he looks up to or admires musically and career pathwise. And we kind of noticed this problem, at least in his peers, a lot of these alternative artists that have huge songs on their first album, not really coming back with anything substantial to match that first song, the first thing that kind of broke them out, right? So we were like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna definitely take our time here because he had his whole his whole life to write the first one and he's doesn't have as much time. It's not the same scenario. So we know we're gonna have to change the process here to kind of keep the quality as high as the first release. So we took like two and a half years of him writing on his own, him co-writing with a lot of different people. And he was just so willing to do what most artists aren't willing to do after a huge successful first album. And that's to open it up to co-writing because the first album, especially when you write it all by yourself, a lot of artists want to hold on to that and keep, I guess, that creative process closed off. And um, he was definitely... You know, not the most excited about doing it, but realized that the parameters we were working in were different than the first album, so he needed to also change that process. We all know great music only gets made when an artist authentically feels great about what they're making. And in order to do that, they have to have a process that they feel comfortable with. So I wanted to talk to them about what was the process to make this record. It's usually just me and the guitar, and like I'll, I'll probably just write it either on my own or if I write it, if some of the songs I wrote with Dave, like we were just two of us in a room or the one I wrote a couple of songs with Dan Wilson as well. And they were just us in a room on guitars. Usually it was just starting with guitars and not bringing in like any production or drums or beats or anything until the song was written. So I, I find it's often like guitar and like a, you know, just a melody or a chord progression and a melody that I'm seeing. And then, uh, you know, a few lyrics might flow. And then once I've got a sense of what the um, melody is, it's like I'm, unless the song just flows out completely naturally and I start singing the song and it's like kind of in some ways like just a stream of consciousness and effortless, I uh, usually go back to my notes uh, if it's in my phone or in a book that I keep ideas and I just start trying to like situate 
the uh, different words and different sentences in those spots and craft the song that way. Once I've got that done, I basically just do a really rough voice memo on my phone where I just sing and play guitar and send it to, I'll send it to my drummer, Edwin, I'll send it to my managers, I'll send it to the producer through Stefan, my a guy. And then from there, it's like, okay, well, here are two voice memos. And then from there, we can, everyone can start percolating ideas. And then we go into the studio with an idea of what the song is, but also no, no hard and fast, like production ideas. It's like, cool. And usually I just start with laying a guitar part down in the studio and then my drummer Edwin will work off that. I asked if he was consistently writing songs since his last record or if he took a break while promoting and touring the record. It was pretty constant. I think that um, I was trying to capture little ideas here and there when I was on the road and they those little ideas could be the seed of a song. It could be just like, uh, you know, a line in your phone or, you know, a little melody you're playing on guitar. And each of those things is worth pursuing, I guess, and you, you, to find out whether that will blossom into a song or whether it will end up in the waste paper basket but all those dead ends lead to songs so i felt like i um released my first album at the end of 2014 and i think i spent most of 2013 and most of 2014 on the road you know with with some breaks to do recording but there was still a bunch of shows in those years so that was quite a uh crazy ride and, and it was life was very busy and a whirlwind and then once my first album came out i was on the road it was a little in a good way a little less a little quieter just in terms of my um the expectations on me for creative output. I could just enjoy playing the shows and then I could start collecting ideas again. And I think from the end of 2014, I was collecting ideas, you know, and I kept collecting them. I I probably thought I had more songs written than I did. And then uh, they were kind of red herrings, I guess. I came off the road early 2016. I kind of, I guess I had maybe two songs written, which was a start, but I also needed like at least 10 more songs. You know, it was um, daunting to think about where, you know, where and when those songs were going to arrive. It's a mystery to me songwriting is always a mystery so it's like well i hope that these songs come and i hope that they're songs i'm proud of and i hope they feel like me and all that stuff was unknown i just knew that the destination was have a bunch of songs you feel good about so that was my main that was the main pressure i think it was like a almost like a a pressure that i kind of had had for just myself and an expectation that i put on myself outside of whether the label was like we need an album you know i talked to vance's drummer edwin white about the progression and sound for this record that he envisioned if you go uh to the very fundamentals of what's going on with Vance Joy as an artist and what the music is like. It's very much songwriter-driven music. So, you know, James, I think, has um, approached the songwriting a little differently uh, at this album compared to the first one. It's potentially a bit more deliberate. To me, it goes a little deeper sometimes into the narrative, which I really enjoyed. So I guess I wanted to, like, approach the songs the way that they'd been approached in there. Uh, in the in the writing stages, Let's go go a little deeper, think a bit harder, have there be a little more ear candy for people listening on headphones. I guess I'm always looking to obviously the song has to like have an impact on someone when they're listening uh, initially, but I want there to be something deeper and people look harder. Oftentimes, artists feel like they have to change their sound from album to album or get an idea for a new agenda. But Vance didn't feel this way. Here he explains what his evolution was like for this new record. Um, There wasn't really a conscious idea to do it. I mean, there was probably uh, a sense that these are the songs I've written in the past. And I guess as a songwriter, when you're songwriting, you might gravitate towards exploring new things. And so when I was playing guitar, I would probably be excited by playing a different rhythm that I'd never played before. I'd be like, oh, that's a riff. I've never used those chords before. I've never 
played like C, E minor, G, D in this way before. And that might lead you to write a couple of songs with that chord progression. It could just be that simple. And so I think with all that, if you stack up those different things, like my desire to play a different chord progression, my finger picking pattern is like a new one that I've never tried before. Add add to that, like, um, I'll be like, oh, it's cool when I stack these words in a really tight rhythmic kind of um, percussive uh, sentence. All that stuff will make the song sound different. It's like, oh, it sounds like you. I guess your voice sounds the same but or similar, but there's some kind of evolution that I guess can happen with all those creative decisions and working with um, my drummer as well, uh, Edwin, who he's been there as a co-producer through through the journey so far. Uh, he will, will be listening to music and he'll be like, I guess reacting to songs that he hears and he'll be going through his own kind of journey musically and so he'll be like, actually, I want to do this with drums or he'll, he'll be making decisions, he, he things that he's done and then he might veer away from those slightly and I, I guess that will lead to the album sounding different although it wasn't like conscious as, as more of just like an instinctual kind of veering towards something new. His songs have such a unique intimate feel to them so I was really curious if he's often writing songs that don't fit the mood that he establishes so I asked him what he thought about that. Every now and then you write a song that might be you're not sure about it. You might be really excited about it at first. It's almost like you worry about the outcomes later. You just write whatever comes to you. And so there are things that you write and you're like, this feels good. And then maybe later you're like, mm, I don't know. Or you might not even be you. It might be, you know, your managers or your label say, we don't know about this song or we don't know about the production you put on it. And, and some of those things can be, can affect the way people react to a song. It might be you. It's like, well, this is me this is melodies and lyrics that i feel good about but you might have had maybe you put it like a really thick synth kind of um sound on it that sounds like stranger things or something like "Mm, that doesn't really fit in the world of vance joy so those things which are actually kind of more like more clothing like the way you've produced it can can make someone say oh that's not this artist so i i think that you can reimagine a song you can reproduce it and make it fit within the what feels like you but um there are songs that i guess there are degrees of what feels like true to you or at least songs that really resonate with you emotionally and there's always going to be songs that really hit the spot with me or i feel like every time i sing it, it's like ah oh, putting on like a comfortable jacket or putting on a pair of shoes that you've worn in it's like this is a song that feels totally like seamless for me to to transition into so i think it's there's always degrees but um yeah i think uh you want more of those songs you want basically all your songs to to feel like that that's what you're shooting for anyway one of the things that makes vance unique is that while his songs feel like him he's often playing guitar piano or ukulele or even some other hybrids of those instruments so i asked him about how those choices happen in his music you know there's been songs that i've played on guitar and ukulele and and i've trying to transfer between the two instruments but uh, my, you know, my first song that I released, um, Riptide back in 2012, 2013, I released, uh, I wrote that song on guitar and then I just think I, there was parts of it I wrote on ukulele, but it just felt natural to play on ukulele. So I went with that. And then on this new album, I, there was a song called Call If You Need Me, which I wrote on guitar and it felt good on guitar. And then I went and picked up this little, I was in Nashville and I picked up this really kind of crappy gitalele, they call it. It's a Yamaha mini guitar. And I guess it's so small that they put it in the ukulele world, but it's just six strings and it's tuned like a guitar with a capo on the fifth fret. But that was like a junky kind of $100 little thing. It may be even less, but I started playing this song, Call If You Need Me, on that, and it just had a cool quality and a cool tone. So we ended up recording with that cheap little Yamaha for Call If You Need Me and another song called Little Boy on the album and little parts here and there. That instrument was like a little, a little godsend. It was like just such a nice, beautiful texture. 
we put um, an old microphone on that guitar when I was recording it in Seattle with um, the producer that did the first album, Ryan Hadlock, and we were like, oh, this sounds like old. Like it sounds like we're listening to some old speaker or something. And it did just have that unique feeling. And then also with the song Saturday Sun, I we, I originally had a guitar riff that I really liked. Um, and as we were recording it, um, Dave suggested we were just doing the demo. He's like, oh, like, let's see if there's like a ukulele part we can play. And I started playing uke and then it kind of became like, as opposed to just a texture, it became kind of more of a prominent sound on the track. So it's cool. I guess, you know, you, 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 nothing's ever set and you can find yeah, different instruments can be the right home for it. Vance's lyrics evoke such a strong vision and lyrical narrative to me when I listen to them. So I was very curious about how he comes up with those lyrical narratives. It's it's really just collected thoughts. I mean, sometimes a narrative will emerge. I, I don't really come with a design or or design or like some outcome in mind. I think some of my favorite songs is when I start singing lyrics and I notice that there is some kind of thematic connection throughout the song. Like I start with an idea and it's evolving, and I'm like, oh, when I sing this line, like. Oh, maybe this is why that little anecdote fits with this message. And I'll just see an idea coming out of nowhere as opposed to, which maybe can work as well. But, you know, I want to write a song that's about the feeling of when, whatever. I, I never like approaching it with that too much of an intellectual, like a, a rigid thing. I like it when it's like you're singing lyrics and then you're like, oh, well, that kind of makes sense with that. And you kind of surprise yourself with some kind of idea that resonates throughout the whole song without it being like, this is my design at the start and it doesn't always happen. There are some songs that are just a collection of thoughts which work and then you you put some other idea with it and you, they, they kind of make sense of all those anecdotes and then there are some that just had like a surprising kind of cohesiveness which is cool. Nation of Two refers specifically to an idea he's been talking about in the press where a couple is an isolated island amongst themselves. I wanted to talk to him a little bit about where that narrative came from. I mean, I would look at the uh, the song titles in a little, I'd, you know, write them all down in a, a note on my phone and I'd see that there were so many songs that were like, that were kind of just generally like me, you, I, you. So there was always, there was a lot of that and I was like, okay, well, I need to write some songs that don't have you and me in them because it feels like a little bit repetitive but I was looking through my phone and I had written down Nation of Two which I suppose I must have been doing like a Kurt Vonnegut quote mm-hmm. um, like I was in a little little uh, you know Kurt Vonnegut quote uh, wormhole and he's got so many gems and so I, I think I must have written something down and it turned out to be that Nation of Two line and I, I basically looked through all my notes like is there, is there a title in any of my notes and that was the that felt like the strongest and I'm glad I I'm glad I looked through my notes and I'm glad that I don't know that that stuck because it seemed to connected all these uh, songs that were kind of like you and me and there were relationships whether or not they're lovers or friends or family it's like uh, a nation of two could could mean all those things and so I you know it, it connected it and I you know I didn't I didn't come with that design it just it almost like kind of I you know I followed my instinct with songwriting and this is what came out and then luckily there was a title that united it all I think there were some books that I really enjoyed reading while while I was making you know the songs I I think it's probably just a collection of you know all all the books you read and all the things you've ever watched and stuff and that always that just fills that well of inspiration that might lead to songs there was a book I read more towards the end which was called um Between Them by a guy called Richard Ford and uh, he describes basically his parents married life before he came along and joined joined the family that just was a good good story about like two people kind of who were living like a perfectly self-contained life and um it was kind of a, I guess, a small story. It's just like a couple of people. It wasn't like superheroes. And I kind of, I guess, I like those kind of details, which are kind of domestic. And, you know, you can find like, 
in very everyday details, sometimes they can be poignant and powerful, even if they they are kind of, you know, I don't know why certain details are powerful or even just everyday used sentence or, you know, a word, you know, a sentence you hear all the time or something that someone says that's very common. But sometimes when you put it to music, it can have a power. That was a book that I found pretty inspiring. And I loved uh, This Boy's Life by Tobias Wolf. Yeah, I think it's always just, and it's just a way to keep you a little vacation for your mind reading. And every now and then there'll be a line that you just write down that ends up being, um, you know, useful and and it finds a place in a song. Time to let it go, it won't let go of me. Hanging by a thread, cutting the cord and then falling back into the black. Cause if I don't, if I wait till it feels right. As you've probably noticed throughout this podcast, Vance has been talking about a cast of characters who he collaborated with on this record. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the decisions on who to collaborate with and what their roles were like. Here's Stefan Max, his A&R man again. Yeah, that was more of like a, all right, let's throw it in the pot and see if it tastes good kind of thing. Trial and error. Uh, you know, the first writing trip we did was with a bunch of L.A., I guess you could say pop writers, and it just didn't really go well. So we quickly learned that he needs to be writing with, with more writers that are were either artists in the past or are still artists or just that have like a little bit more of a connection to the lyrics because it's such a big priority for Vance is to have the lyrical content just be really meaningful and raw. And a lot of times in co-writes, people are so, especially pop people, are so focused on getting a big record that they kind of put the... Uh, deepness in the backseat you know they're looking for more of a surface level immediate connection um so we had to find you know we be, we quickly learned that we had to find writers and artists that were going to that were going to have the patience to kind of make sure that these songs were deep and meaningful especially on a lyrical level um and that's where guys like dan wilson really came into play um dan was in semi-sonic and he's a huge songwriter wrote someone like you for adele or with adele rather um you know so james really connected with him he wrote we're going home with him he wrote like gold with him they're like really close so that was the type of writer that we kind of realized was more in in the pocket for him i asked fans about his feelings on the process wasn't intentional to like not stay with one but it was like often those different producers came in through like uh you know maybe just a trial or let's write a song and then all there's all all the work that they did it kind of all you know can sit sit comfortably next to next to each other which is good i mean i guess when we first did the first album we did a I guess that they call it like a trial week, but luckily I've had great experience with, the, with producers that we've had these trials with. We went in to do two songs with Ryan Hadlock in 2014 and I was in 2013 and it, it came out, you know, really well and it felt good and we recorded two songs with him. And so we did a similar thing and we ended up doing the whole album with Ryan, but uh, we did the same thing early on into the process here uh, with this album in 2016. We went in with Phil Eck from uh, Seattle and he had, yeah, obviously such a great body of work. And, and then I guess the reason why we, moved around with producers was by that stage it was like oh we want to go back and work with phil for sure but then i hadn't written any other songs it was like i have two songs written we went and recorded them and i'm like okay well now we have two songs written and i had to wait you know till another song came along and um 
I guess part of it, I guess the reason why we, we worked with Dave Bassett as well was because I went in to do some songwriting with him. And uh, in the first two days I worked with him, which was at the start of 2017, so quite a while after the uh, time in Seattle, we wrote Lay It On Me and uh, another song called Take Your Time. And those two songs just came about in two days and it was like, what a nice like surprise and a creative breakthrough. And the demos that he did on those two songs, besides the fact that he co-wrote them with me and were really good chemistry, uh, the demos really felt like the the right vibe and the, the the songs were like hatching like right there and then in those moments to the point that when we went in, went back to record the song Lay It On Me, it was like there was stuff from the demo that we couldn't even beat. Like I couldn't beat the vocal, which I did that day. You know, the, the drum sound that he was getting was like something that Edwin, my drummer, you know, emphasized, you know, stuck, was faithful to, but also elaborated on. But there was so much, so much that was right in the demos that we, we when we tried to re-record them, it just didn't work. So it was like, okay, well, Dave will be our guy for that. And then he uh, he really did the right thing for a song called We're Going Home, which uh, he kind of sped it up a bit. And he kind of, I guess, um, it was just good to have a clear creative direction. He kind of saw the way through to make that song uh, as good as it possibly could be. And so I, I'm really happy with the way that turned out. What Vance is talking about here is becoming all the more common today. Demos are no longer demos. They become part of the final song on a very regular basis. I talked to Dave Bissett about this, and he talked to me about how often this is happening today with many of the projects he's producing today. For me, the tipping point was um, when I wrote X's and O's with L. King, and that was literally a one-hour writing and maybe 30 minutes to record that. And that sat around forever, and I always thought it sounded good. And when they finally decided to put it on her record, I got a call saying, you know, this is going on the record. I'm great. You know, get her band out here. We'll record this, you know, get everyone. In. And they're like, whoa, whoa, wait, you know, this is done. And so, you know, right there, I realized, you know what, I need to start trusting myself and trusting that, that those initial bursts of, of inspiration and creativity. I have, I have all the right gear. It's not like if they came back, I'd be singing through a different mic or we'd be in a different room. It would just be a different take. And so, you know, the, the, the original takes of, of, of that song or take your time, um, you know, I, I respect and I listen to with, you know with with producer ears all the time, even though it's just maybe the first time you heard that melody on a mic. Another collaborator on this record is Dan Wilson, who's written tons of hit songs, including ones with Adele. Here's Dan on the process the two of them went through. James and I got together with a mission. First time we got together, there was some sense that he was interested in doing some co-writing, but. He was a little, I think, leery of it. I think he knows what his strengths are. I don't think he's calculating or I don't think he's like, you know, has some sort of magical self-awareness. But I, I think he knows what his strengths are as an artist. And one of the things that he's really strong at is like hearing something that he's working on and deciding in his heart, is this for me? He could have some really great sounding thing that just sounds really like some kind of pop smash. And if he is listening to himself sing it and it doesn't feel like it's him, then he ain't going to be able to put it out. That that's a really powerful ability. So when we got together, I think he felt like the whole idea of co-writing might have been a bit of a danger to that, like that he would get co-opted into some other process that didn't have much to do with him, which is unlikely, I think, because he has such a strong self-determining side. But I think it was just a little sense of like, OK, I'll try this, but I'm not going to commit to like writing songs with other people necessarily. We had talked to somebody about a movie that needed a song. We got inspired. We watched the trailer for this movie. I can't remember the name of the movie, but it was sort of an adventurous, heroic kind of movie and 
we, we got inspired to write a song uh, maybe with that movie in mind. It's funny because I feel like sometimes like if you have a commission or a, an other purpose, if a friend is getting married and they want you to write a song for the wedding, or if you have a notion that some artist that you work with could really use X type of song, it takes your ego out of it and it makes it easier to work on and it simplifies the process a little bit. And I think um, with James and I, our initial effort to write a song for a movie kind of took away some of the question of like, is this right for Vance Joy or not? And it allowed us to kind of just have fun and be creative and maybe try to have a mission in mind. Interestingly, I think that just most of what that did was like break the ice for him and I to be able to write songs in, in just a playful way and let him be the final arbiter of whether it's cool for him. I think that's the key for James and me is he's the one who's going to say, yeah, this is a really cool idea. I like it, but it's not good for me. And then we just drop it and we try something else. The other producer on this record is Simon Felice. I had Vance talk a bit about his process as well as his unique studio setup. With Simon Felice, it was I was going going up there. I had written one song and I had like two weeks booked or something <clears throat> with him. And I was like, okay, well, I've only got one song. Like, what's going to happen? And he was kind of up to like experiment and write some songs and stuff. You know, I found like when I went up there, it was like he had a great recording setup and everything. So we recorded a song called "I'm with You," just guitar and guitar and a little and vocals and a little kind of delayed, kind of strange little keyboard sound for the like the songs that I did with him like little boy and I'm with you they were so just so perfectly suited to his style and like he for emotional songs like that with like a really acoustic feeling he was he was so good at recording them and 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 bringing them to life and so Simon has a very um stripped down uh setup at his at his studio and so I had a like a little place that was um there's a fridge but there's no television very you know uh clutterless and also technology and anti-technology kind of vibe where there's just like no mir- not many mirrors and stuff like that. It was, I, you know, he has a barn that was on his old his mum's property, and he's kind of building a whole big new studio up on this little land that he's just acquired just next to this his his old childhood home. And his mum has it, and there's also like a little part of the house which is kind of like completely uh, separate, even though it's connected to his mum's house. And it's like there's an old bedroom upstairs. Um, and a bathroom and then downstairs it's like there's a, ca- a couple of couches and old an acoustic guitar sitting there um but there's just candles and there's not really like there's no like television there's no like wi-fi you know like so you you get there and you're not like really using your phone much and i think his intention with that setup was that you would have like less distractions and you'd be immersed in the recording experience and and writing experience you're in you're in nature like you're in the catskills like beautiful pine trees around and you know like there's mountains and hills and if it's snowing you're really like isolated in a good way and then there's only like a general store that his wife owns called the circle w which is like makes great sandwiches and great coffee and you go down there in the morning and then like go head up to the studio and it's um there yeah there's not many distractions and it's it's good to it's good for focusing and having some simplicity, which is nice. And then you go in and spend all day in the studio, and the vibe is really good. And, I, and that's why it worked. It felt so good work, working with him when when there is a a sense that he's a guy that kind of likes to work within create a really strong vibe. And like you know, he, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean the music's going to be great, but if you have a song that you're really proud of, and you got some nice smelling incense and a candle, you might be motivated to sing a special performance. The song will make you sing great anyway if you really love it. It's nice when you have that atmosphere. It's like it's a kind of um, intoxicating atmosphere, and that and I feel really, really happy with the songs we recorded there. 
And now I'd like to pause this program and tell you for a minute about what you can expect with the rest of this season of Inside the Album. On this season, we talked to Dashboard Confessional about making a record that pleases both himself and fans, both old and new. I like our old stuff better, and I like moments and songs from our later era of recording. But as a whole body of work, I like everything up through half of Dusk and Summer. Jeff Richman and the creators of the hit play Mean Girls talk about what goes into developing a mega-hit Broadway play and cast recording. Trying to find out what is that song that you actually want to like sit down and write is tricky and is a challenge, because there's not that much real estate for songs, even though it's a musical. Vance Joy talks creating a follow-up to a successful debut album. And I'm more like eating my lunch before breakfast, kind of like getting too far ahead before I'm like focusing on just this one detail of what am I doing making a song. Pete Wentz of Fall Out Boy talks mentoring nothing nowhere. But first you find out if you like someone's art. If you do and that's interesting to you, you find out what their basic mission statement as an artist is. And then you see if you can align with that vision. And we also talked to Grandson about crafting his highly politically charged debut EP. The indie rock band wallows on making a record that sounds like the loss of youth. Jason Mraz on finding a greater truth in music for his latest LP, No. And Brent Cobb on making honest music. Subscribe now and stay tuned for the deepest inside look you will get into how great records are being made today. You can also head to AtlanticPodcast.com for more information on this podcast and Atlantic Records. I saw you standing there, sandy blonde hair, the way it came tumbling down, just like a waterfall. And if you need a light, I'll be the match to your candle. At this point in the interview, I asked fans for some specific stories about how some of the songs came to be. He started with I'm With You. Well, I remember I came in with... um. The song I'm With You, I sent that to Simon and uh, I spent that night, I guess it's a continuation of that story, but I, I spent the night in that that kind of uh, the house and then I went in the next morning early, about 11, well, it wasn't that early, but it was like 11 o'clock and I met his team and um, we we're just hanging out in, in in this barn, which is set up for, you know, guitars, overdubbing, singing, perfect for all that stuff, you know, some piano sounds. It's not like made for like drums and stuff necessarily. It's different to this as well. There's no control room. I laid down a guitar track. It didn't take long to, for Ryan, uh, Ryan Hewitt, the engineer, to comp that all together. Simon was like, we, he had some, some suggestions for the song and they were like, he looked, he printed out the lyrics uh, from the voice memo I sent him and uh, he was really excited by the song and I was like, yeah, cool, I think this is like a decent song. He, he seemed to see a lot of potential in it and he came back with a couple of lyric alterations which I think really helped progress the song towards the story and I, I like the way he thought of it like that way. Like, he's like, oh, this tells, you know, might change this lyric here and moves in a slightly different direction here. It's just some really small but choice suggestions which I was really receptive to and then at the end i there was always going to be a a bit where i i jump up the octave vocally and i had that was was doing that but he kind of was like wanted me to like find a way to get up the octave that was i guess interesting but also like create some kind of like emotional or some build-up that was kind of powerful so he's like let's find a way to get there with a melody and we just sat there for 15 minutes just being like trying things and he was just sitting there and i was trying things and it was um it was a really nice collaborative moment and I, I just came up with a melody. It's like, Yeah, that's that's good, that's good and and they were like, Cool. We had the guitar, let's just let's let's sing it and um 
you know, he made me sing it a few times over and over again before I did the, the vocal. Burn some incense, you know, pat you on the back. And he's, he's a, you know, and which, which is not everyone's vibe, but f- I, I kind of like that kind of connection. And you know, he'll give you a pat on the back and he'll say, all right. And then um, he'll sit on the couch and everyone's kind of quiet. And I'll just, I sang like three takes and you know, he'll be like, that feels like the record. You know, that feels like, that feels great to me. And so I walk away and then I came back at like, it was like two o'clock that afternoon and we had the vocals and the guitar done. I was like, cool. Like I'm here for like two weeks and we've already done the, <laughs> you know, like we did it all in like three hours. Um, and it was just like, it came back and put a little interesting synth sound on it. But I, I just enjoyed that experience of, um, you can get in your head or you can, if you're doing vocal, especially I think all singers probably say this, they hate doing, going back and doing vocals like six months or a year later after they've done the demo. And that's why we couldn't beat the demo with that song laid on me. And it's hard when you've done a demo in the moment of writing the song, coming back and trying to capture that elusive energy. It's like, I'm not feeling it today. Like I, I'm distanced from the song and I'm, it's like, uh, you know, you hear actors talking about, they do a scene and then, you know, they have to actually, it was, it was a good story from Brian Cranston's biography, which is a detour, but he talks about doing a scene and it was a big emotional scene where his son tells him he never wants to talk to him again right at the end of Breaking Bad. And apparently that scene, the they because they recorded on film, got put onto a, a truck at the airport on the way to LA, fell off the back of the thing transporting it, and then the thing that pulls the planes, like that thing that transports the planes, that big machine, that big car, crushed this tape. And Brian heard and he's like, I hope it's not that scene that I cried in and we nailed and it was a huge emotional moment. And he's like... Yeah, of course, it was that scene. Had to go back and shoot it, and um, he was like doing it, and he's like, he's. I feel like I'm reenacting the scene that I got right. And he's like, I, he's like, I tried to remove any memory of that first scene and find a way back to that emotional place, and that's that's I think what happens to singers when they they get told to go back to capture whatever that feeling was in a demo. They're like, oh, it's not happening today, you know. I'm now I'm thinking about what the melody is, and you, you're divorced from your emotions a bit, so. Luckily, when we did it with Simon that day, it was like, oh, cool. I feel like I'm singing a demo. There was a new creative moment, which like was exciting. And then it's like directly, let's trans- let's just get it right now. When It doesn't always happen like that. And there's a lot of grinding, which is also you have to do sometimes. But that was a nice one. Since we keep talking about Lay It On Me, I wanted to get a few more details on that song. I had a guitar riff lying around since 2012 that I really liked and I was excited by when I played this riff and I was like, this feels like something. And then I tried writing songs with that riff like repeatedly. Like there was, I think, um, you know, there would be a number of songs that were failed attempts to get to capture that riff. And then I went into the studio at the start of, at the end of January in 2017 uh, with Dave Bassett, went into his uh, studio in Malibu and we had, uh, we just got on the same wavelength and it was like, he sang a melody over that riff that totally tied it together, just that first riff. And then, you know, I had some ideas for a chorus that was kind of like a build-up thing. And I was like, I'm, and I was like, to him, I said, I envisage this sounding a bit like um, Take On Me, like the AHA song, like, like something that builds and builds and builds. And he was like, oh, he's like, I totally get what you mean. And then from that, it kind of, that idea helped propel us towards finishing the song. The lyrics came quite easy. I had a bunch of lyrics in my phone. You know, that song was written in a couple of hours and it was, and, and that was a, a, felt a feeling of a really great breakthrough. And, and as I said, the demo, the vocals, uh, and a lot of the drumming ideas, we, we were so happy with, and, and that the song felt like it was being created in that moment. Uh, and when Dave suggested a harmony for the, just before the chorus, that for me, when I started singing that harmony, 
I was like, whoa. I was like, oh, this is a song. This feels like a song. Like that felt like I was, it kind of, I know that it's only a small detail, like a, a backing vocal, but for some reason it really transformed it in my head when I was singing. I was like, oh, that feels epic, you know? And, and it kind of like blossomed. And, um, I'm glad that we went back to Dave to finish the song and, um, and yeah, we couldn't beat a lot of that stuff we did on that day. I had Edwin share with me how he personally saw the song evolve. Actually, I mean, I have a connection to this song because um, James has been playing this riff on guitar for years, maybe three or four years or something. And we'd, we'd just be mucking around and he'd pick up the guitar and he'd play the riff and I'd be like, play that again. And he'd be like, fuck off. So <laughs> I, I just have been wanting to hear this riff for so long. Yeah, we're in New York. We were staying in an Airbnb. You know, my mum died uh, Sorry. not last year, the year before. That's okay. And so, I don't know, he just played me this rec- uh, demo recording that he'd done with Dave and I had this kind of liberating feeling of like, it's okay to get excited about the future again, something like that. Some, seems a little abstract, but when you have a dying uh, family member, you sort of can't plan for the future. And I, it's sort of like I felt this uh, sort of relief when he played me the riff because it was almost like, the past progressing into something new, something like that. So, you know, it's just so such a beautiful guitar riff. And then, I mean, it's a, it's a sweet song. And, uh, yeah, we, we pimped it up and it's, it's got that real cool uh, Motown drum feel going through it. But then I've also got, like, a particular way that I play snare drum patterns to kind of build energy and things. So you, you get that as well. And then the horns are really bombastic sounding, which is exciting here's dave Bissett talking about the process of the song a little bit more after the first the next day we wrote lay it on me and that was the first two days i'd written with him then he went off for a while and i really didn't hear back i didn't know if you know if people were liking these songs if he you know how he's feeling about it i knew he had a, a whole batch that he was working on um and then i got a call that they were going to do a version record a, a master version of this song and it was with a, a producer that um vance had worked with in the past and felt comfortable with and and I, and we got the version back and i thought it, it sounded good but um a couple couple months after that um as we had written more and more together and developed a kind of a comfort level with each other i think there was something realized that there was some magic caught in the day we wrote that song and uh the demo of that song had some elements that you know maybe were overlooked or you know they were unable to capture again and so we eventually went back to the original demo and used that as as the the foundation of the recording that's on the record and uh and i love when that happens i think too often songs are written and then when it gets to the production process, um, you know, there's this collective idea that, okay, now we're doing it for real. Now we have to start from scratch and now we're going to do, you know, do the best take ever. And uh, I think when there's an innocence in the, in the demo process, and I don't even call it a demo process anymore, in the, in the initial recording process, when you're just discovering the song, you know, no one's really thinking about the final performance and, and all that. And, and there's a real ease to the to the delivery of, of his vocal and take your time and to some of the other parts we recorded where uh, those things you, you just can't recapture again. And why should you? Because they were great. They were the initial inspiration. And uh, I don't think there's ever a time when you're as connected to, um, to, to a song as, as the, that initial, um, that initial inspiration. 
One of the things that you always see that goes into making great records is perseverance when things aren't working. Here I talked to producer Phil Eck, who produced two of the tracks on the record, about one of the struggles they had getting a song to work. They sent me Like Gold and Alone With Me, and uh, they were definitely songwriter demos. They were cool songs, and uh, I agreed to do go in the studio with James and, and Edwin, and we got in, just started, started working on those two songs. Initially, those first two songs, were uh, they weren't super well rehearsed. They were, they were definitely kind of works in progress as far as the mu- musician's aspect goes. Just James and Edwin, and then eventually a, f- a friend of ours came in and did a little violin on Alone With Me. But tried setting up drums and doing a full drum kit kind of arrangement with uh, Like Gold. Worked on that for a good day, probably, with Edwin. It was uh, not going well. Kind of thought a full kit was just what was going to be on that song, and, and even... Uh, he thought of it as well. So we worked on it for a while. It just was going nowhere. It just didn't seem right, didn't feel right, and didn't, didn't have the, the correct uh, vibe at all. And so we kind of stewed on that overnight, came in the next day, and said, let's just tear this apart and start with this percussion. And we might have even laid guitar down first and then added bass drums and you know shakers and tambourines. And we uh, took a TV tray together and slammed it together and heavily, heavily compressed it. And it made this kind of crack sound and used that kind of as a snare vibe. And, this, and it just came to life, and it was super fun. Just really uh, excited both me and, and, and the band. And it just sounded cool, and, and we just kind of went from there. And then we worked on it alone with me in the same kind of idea. And uh, it was really, really fun. Next, I talked to producer Dave Bissett about how they shaped the song Take Your Time. You know, the very first song we wrote was Take Your Time. And, uh, you know, this, this was a very interesting co-write session for me because I know Vance hadn't done a lot of co-writing at all. And, um, again, being very respectful from where he's coming from, you know, I didn't want to come off too heavy-handed. And uh, there's always kind of a get-to-know-you portion of, of the co-writing situation when you first meet someone. And, you know, I don't like to just sit down and say, okay, let's go. You know, let's, what, what key you want to be in or, or something like that. You know, you need to get to know the artist first and, and make them feel comfortable. And so, uh, you know, Vance came in and, you know, within, you know, 10 minutes, he had his shoes off He's and he's, you know, kicking back in a chair and, and playing playing a riff. And I just knew this guy was really easygoing and, you know, and open to this process. And, and that made it, you know, very comfortable for me. You know, I asked if he had any ideas that he, he wanted to start off of. And uh, he, he played the riff for, for Take Your Time, which I thought was a great riff um, on the acoustic. And as he was playing it, a lot of times the process for me comes from, hearing a series of chords or or a, a, a pattern as this one was on on acoustic guitar just kind of throwing some melodic ideas back and forth you know not getting too deep conceptually yet but just see, feeling what melodies come natural over those chords and um and and Vance had had a the start of a, a melody over those chords and as as we're flying stuff back and forth in my brain I I heard the the chords evolving to the next section and uh, and I think that was the first kind of con- collaborative connection we had and where he maybe I earned his trust a little bit because he really liked where the chords went I know that this riff was something he was sitting on for a while and really wasn't sure where to take it so when I threw out some you know the next set of chords it really kind of you know opened up the dialogue again I think I earned his trust a little bit and that helped that song unfold you know we wrote that song in you know a couple hours that first day and it felt really good 
you know, it made me understand a lot how Vance um, approaches his lyrics, which is, you know, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very personal thing for him. And each line really, you know, he has a he has a book of of phrases and notes and 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 situations that he's been in, things that he's thought of. I, I realized I needed to step back a little bit when we got into the lyrics and kind of let him feel, you know, what that song was. And you know, when he came up with the line, you know, we'll go dancing around the kitchen, you know, I, I immediately saw how he draws people into his song with these everyday real um, images and he, the way he's able to paint a, a scene with words as if you're watching a movie of that song is, is a real gift that he has. I enjoy contributing to, to lyrics and uh, and I you know I consider myself a lyricist and as I, I was the singer in my band and I wrote the lyrics in, in all of my stuff so you know I, I know how personal it can be so I was I was walking a line because I was very excited and I wanted to be involved with this, but I also realized that I needed to let him just discover what this song was. And, uh, and you know, in, in the end, it, it, it ended up being a very natural process, and I know that he was very happy with the song. There's an ocean inside my head Waves that don't ever this kind of beauty ain't ordinary You look but do you really see Won't you take your time on me We heard a lot about Vance's process, but I wanted to hear about what makes him unique. So I turned to both Dave and Stefan. You know, a lot of, a lot of artists will will always look to their their family or their immediate friend circle just for you know an initial nod of approval um, on on what they're working on but he especially is very very close with his mother who's also an English teacher and a writer I believe and she's very very involved at certain points and on certain songs with helping him make decisions and you know he if you go and look in any interviews he he acknowledges that and the two of them together have come up with some pretty crazy popular lyrics of his you know whether it's georgia stuff or just random lyrics um and i thought that was pretty interesting because you know everyone's showing their family music but how often are you really going to your mother for for an english grammar analysis of your lyrics you know what what makes Vance unique is that there, so many artists are out there, and especially this day and age where there seems to be a guidebook on you know how to be a rock star, and there's so many schools that that you can go to and learn all these different things. And I feel like so many artists are chasing the song and chasing their career and trying to do the right thing step by step um, by the guidebook. And with Vance, I see the total opposite, and it's so refreshing that things come to him and i feel like you've got someone who here who has who's a quiet voice but a very determined voice and when he when he plays something you're drawn into it when he tells a story you're drawn into it between the unique sound of his voice and his ability to to tell a story listeners producers everyone we're just drawn into his world and he does it with such ease uh, you don't get a sense that he's chasing anything. He's always completely comfortable in his own skin, and and that to me shows real confidence. And uh, and when he can back it up with with his abilities, it's 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 pretty incredible. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please share it on social media. To hear other episodes and more of Atlantic's podcasts, head to AtlanticPodcast.com. Vance Joy's Nation of Two is out now. Thanks and tune in next time.